0: Hello, this is Eric Boyce, CEO and Chief Investment Officer for BK Wealth Consulting, and welcome to Market Minutes for October 18th of 2022. Uh, we're recording this uh, here on a Tuesday afternoon, uh, kind of fully digesting the uh, the news of last week. Obviously, the big uh, item was the Consumer Price Index, a CPI report last Thursday. We talk about the whipsaw in the market based on that, uh, also. Uh, Really kind of what to expect this week uh, as we've already seen a positive reaction in the market, kind of a bear market rally if you will, Uh, but stocks were really uh, kind of torn asunder last week with the economic data releases. Uh, Markets uh, were in decline ahead of the CPI release and then uh, we had an upside uh, surprise for the fifth month um, in core CPI in six months. Equities. you know, actually, you know, had a uh, had a an initial positive reaction to that, uh, but it declined on Friday based on higher inflation expectations in the University of Michigan Consumer Survey, and wound up ending the week down around one and a half percent. So, defensives were uh, continue to be strong, uh, tech and consumer discretionary lagged. Uh, so. Uh, stocks were also down in Europe, uh, down considerably more actually in Asia. Uh, of course, uh, we've got uh, the Chinese uh, Party Congress uh, going on last week. But uh, on fixed income, uh, I think, if anything, the Consumer Price Index report reinforced the notion of continued aggressive Fed rate hikes. Uh, markets are now fully expecting a 75 basis point rate hike in November with a chance for a fifth straight 75 basis uh, point hike uh, in December, and that's a new development based on the CPI report. So the terminal rate, which is kind of at that rate that uh, the Fed funds rate is expected to peak, i.e. short-term rates are expected to peak, um, was up about a quarter of percent to almost 5% uh, in March of t- 2023. So in other words, the consensus now expects that uh, short-term interest rates will peak about 5% uh in uh in March uh, and then perhaps begin to decline after that uh but we're seeing yields move up across the uh, curve uh the two-year uh was up uh, about four and a half percent a 10-year uh, was also up closing above four percent since the first time since 19 or excuse me <laughs> since 2008 um and then uh So commodities uh, decline throughout the week. Um, You know, economic data is a little bit more hawkish. Uh, Kind of suggesting that central banks are going to remain on a a tightening path across the globe. Obviously, you've got a lot of other foreign central banks that are trying to keep pace with the U.S. uh, Federal Reserve and raising rates to maintain the stability of their own currencies. The dollar has been very, very strong this year. Uh, as, As we know, dollar index is up about 18.5% for the year. Um, And then, uh, you know, obviously there's more dynamics going on in the energy sector. Uh, OPEC, uh, you know, we we heard uh, from OPEC the week before last, uh, more rhetoric about production curtailments. We'll see if that actually pans out. But WTI crude back up to uh, about 85.5 bucks a barrel. That's up 13 Uh, Almost 14% for the year, for the month, it's up about seven and a half, so we've seen a considerable kind of retracement, if you will, of the decline in energy prices that we had been enjoying for several months now. Uh, We've drawn down uh, about a third of our Strategic Petroleum Reserve, the SPR, uh, and that's kind of had, a a, honestly, a muted impact. It has more of a psychological benefit uh, to increasing reserves in the system, but honestly, you're, you know, unless you really materially affect pipelines, a transmission, not only in natural gas, but, you know, alternative sources of energy, uh, getting electricity back into the grid. If you're not spending on the infrastructure to move that product around, move those ions around, uh, you know, having all of this extra supply uh, with, you know, with refineries that are already at, you know, plus 90 90, 95% uh, refining capacity. It's, it's hard to, um, to to affect that uh, with with the SPR. But uh, economic review, we'll talk about the CPI in a second. Um, you know, uh, let's see, retail sales, pretty resilient. Uh, and uh, the control group was up about four tenths of a percent. It was a little bit higher than expected. Honestly, that was probably the biggest um the the biggest uh, item other than the CPI report. Um, So let's talk about that for a second. Obviously, hotter than expected, headline CPI rose four-tenths of a percent. Consensus was for two-tenths of a percent. And core CPI, again, backing out food and energy-related components, was up six-tenths of a percent, whereas the consensus was expecting about four-tenths. So uh, on a year-over-year basis, uh, core CPI was up 6.6% year-over-year. A fresh forty-year high, uh, and rent uh, and owner's equivalent rent, which is forty percent of core CPI, accounted for about half that monthly increase. And so we saw shelter costs go up uh, again. Uh, we do think that there is a that there is a kind of a law of diminishing returns on that on that front, uh, as you know we see a softness in the, uh, the single-family and multifamily residential. Uh, markets uh, in terms of pricing. Uh, we see demand destruction. Uh, we certainly see listings uh, and, and market behavior beginning to trend a little bit more normal than the atmospheric uh, craziness that we had earlier this year. And I think eventually that will translate into rents as well. Rents were struggling to catch up and typically operated about about a year year's lag to uh, to home prices. And so now that we see prices moderating, I think rents are apt to uh, even though they're pretty resilient, uh, apt to um, uh, to decelerate at least, or you know at least slow the rate of acceleration here. So, but 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 they were clearly an impact in the in the uh, in the latest uh, inflation report. Uh, so uh, we have seen definitely a shift in the composition of inflation towards services, uh, and so uh, and obviously the other big component other other than Um, uh, Other than shelter uh, is uh, wages, and so wages, uh, we do see those continuing to remain uh, fairly high, but like, you know, just looking at the market review, you know, last week the the market was, uh, Dow Jones was actually up, S&P was down about one and a half percent, NASDAQ was down about three percent. So we have the seventh down week last week in the last nine. Uh, But obviously, Thursday was kind of the fulcrum point. So we had the fifth largest reversal in S&P 500 history uh, after that report. So market was up and then really kind of turned around and gave Thursday's gains back on Friday after the University of Michigan uh, inflation expectation report came in. So strategists are watching inflation. Uh, Fed funds futures imply that the Fed funds rate, as I mentioned, will reach about 5%. Uh, By next March, uh, rates were higher for the 11th straight week, uh, which is the longest stretch that we've seen rates move higher in 38 years. Uh, And correlations are pretty high too. We've talked a lot about how that traditional 60% equity, 40% uh, growth, fixed income growth portfolio just hasn't worked for you uh, because correlations between the asset classes are 40% higher. Than, the, uh, than, than they are usually at this point in the uh, earnings cycle. Um, and uh, so w- w- what does that mean? That means that stocks and bond prices are moving in the same direction, meaning that when equities are soft, you're not getting that diversification benefit from fixed income, which is a little troublesome. Uh, obviously, this year is a very uh, uh, an amazing anomaly. We've got some charts in our Charts of the Week pack on this. Um, that uh, in, in when you plot a graph of stock and bond returns going back to 1926 or 28 you know there's really only been a small handful of instances where you've seen both stock and bond returns be negative you see a lot of times where stock returns are negative but bond returns are positive and that's that diversification benefit that you get but we just haven't seen that this year in fact there's only been three years where that has been, where we've seen the kind of circumstance that we've had this year. So uh, again, to stress that the current environment is extremely rare, extremely rare. Uh, and when you have years where the 60-40 portfolio is negative, and that happens about one in five times, uh, but usually it's modestly negative only because you've got you know, uh, probably more volatility on, on the equity side than you, know, you usually have fixed income that provides an offset. Well, that had to happen this year, and so that 60-40 portfolio is, uh, is quite negative uh, to the tune of about 21%. Uh, but usually, when you have instances like that, you have several years that follow that that are actually not bad, uh, pretty good years in the market. And so, again, I want to press that theme that uh, while the current market is bad, You know, I think all eyes should be on uh, uh, kind of making smart moves amidst the volatility, but also certainly preparing ourselves for the market that we feel uh, that we're going to have in a couple of years. So uh, volatility above 30 for the seventh straight session on Friday. So volatility is obviously high. Uh, uh, The S&P is now at its 200-week moving average. Uh, And uh, so... Uh, yeah, know, we see technically that we're kind of at a uh, at a very interesting juncture here, heading into earnings season. Right now, analysts are expecting third quarter earnings of $55.67 for the S&P 500, which is up about 2.6% year over year. Uh, and if you back out energy, then earnings are actually expected to contract almost 4%. Uh, so we see, according to Sandy Leeds and his commentary, new orders for capital goods tracking earnings closely, uh, maintaining their upward trajectory, uh, and then investors uh, are acutely concerned uh, about what management is going to say in their uh, earnings calls. And, and so we're definitely going to have to pay attention to that, and we are now in the throes of earnings season, so we're going to be processing this stuff in real time as we go. Um, so, but the S&P third-quarter earnings have already been revised down uh, about seven percent since June. So, uh, this is well above the typical ten-year average, uh, and uh, you know we see that since World War II, earnings fall by an average of around thirteen percent around recessions. And so, we've already had basically seven percentage points of downward revisions, and then the expectation of fairly sluggish earnings this quarter, uh, probably next. So we're going to be watching that uh, um, as well. So um, lots of different things going on, globalization stalling, so you're losing some productivity benefit. Um, And then you've got consolidation of enterprise. A lot of M&A activity is kind of stalled that we've seen. Um, So uh, we might see growth by acquisition begin to trail off a little bit. Uh, and then low rates are definitely rising and uh, because riskier companies tend to borrow uh, at variable rates, you know, you could see some of those again, I think those long duration kind of like those uh, high multiple stocks uh, continuing to struggle in this environment, whereas dividend growth and those that have strong cash flow that can support dividend growth and strong cash flow and strong balance sheets are apt to outperform. Um, so, um, you know, let's looking at uh, various things. So, um, so yeah, I, I guess really, I mean, there's a lot that I could talk about still with regard to CPI inflation um, and, you know, kind of like the behavior of the market. Uh, it is an odd time. We've got a lot going on. Earnings season is just the latest uh, kind of quote unquote event uh, to happen. And um, we do have uh, a lot of technical, interesting technical things going on, uh, a retracement of the, of the uh, 22-month rally that started uh, after the uh, shutdown in March of 2020. Uh, so, you know, some very interesting things going on technically, but, you know, I, I guess without the risking focusing too much energy and time on the current environment, I'd like to focus a little bit more energy and time uh, on 2023. And so again, the terminal rate expectation for the Fed is about 5% short term rates by March of 2023. You know, that's honestly the timeframe that I think that we're going to have to put up with in terms of increased volatility. As I've been saying about six months, maybe a little bit longer, you know, but generally, generally is that when the Fed Kind of, you know, can wave its flag and, and and claim victory in its fight with inflation. You know, stocks will have already sensed this, and they will already take off, anticipating that new market cycle. Um, you know, and and I think the expectation now is that inflation uh, is uh, going to be higher than it was, but it but it will slow. Uh, and uh, and obviously, the risk in this whole market is that you know, that we do get pesky inflation that really just doesn't slow and then margins contract, earnings go down, so on and so forth. Um, But but generally speaking, if we are right in the sense that we have a recession that gets called kind of after the fact almost and, and we go through this recession over the coming months and then, you know, it gets dated around March, April, May, uh, then, you know, that, then the likelihood is that we are going to pass through this because, again, there are no significant structural problems in the economy. The banking system is sound. Consumer balance sheets are relatively strong, although savings rates are down and credit card usage is up uh, or credit usage, gen- generally speaking, is up, uh, and uh, the banking system is not unsound. I mean, in 2008, it was built upon credit default swaps and this perception of risk that wasn't reality, uh, as well as the confidence in the banking system to be resilient. Well, you know, we don't have those imbalances today. We've done away with mark-to-market accounting uh, and, you know, we have more stringent uh, tests of the banking system and we see more prudent management of the balance sheet uh, than we ever did. Uh, But, you know, so, you know, globally, I think there is a global contraction. I think there's a risk of a global recession that goes along with the U.S. recession. I think it makes international investing uh, continuing, continue, it's going to make it, it's going to continue to make that a difficult place to invest for the time being. And I do see the U.S. becoming a more attractive environment uh, before the international market does. Even though the international markets, especially emerging markets, are exceptionally cheap right now, they just lack the catalyst. And as long as we have a strong dollar, uh, that will remain so in my opinion. But uh, again, uh, we've got uh, you know, we've got uh, fixed income that has moved higher, again, likely to move a little bit higher. We still have an inverted yield curve, especially on the three month to 10 year uh, basis um and uh you know we could see a rise in the default rate for leverage loans Uh, we could see a a rise in the default rate for high yield bonds and so staying with iCredit uh, and not getting caught up in a lot of that would be uh, it's certainly it's one thing that you want to do as an investor and something that we've certainly taken note of Um, and uh, but we have seen uh, also a pretty good spike in the volatility in the treasury market which is actually very unusual so you know i think you know finding cash alternatives uh, finding uh, quality uh, short-term investments i think adding a little bit of duration uh, but not taking on a lot of cor- uh, a lot of uh, credit risk uh, is going to be key in fixed income and then on obviously on the equity side uh, quality uh, and dividend growth uh, capabilities Uh, and strong balance sheets, strong companies. Uh, And at some point, there's going to be a real strong desire to want to rotate to small caps. There's going to be a desire to want to rotate to, um, uh, to, you know, higher credit exposed fixed income. Uh, And there will definitely be a day where we're going to want to talk about more international investing uh, at these low multiples. But it's just not right now. And so taking the unemotional viewpoint that we just need to stay the course be prudent during the meantime you know expect that the market will begin to anticipate perhaps spring heading into summer next year the better in market environment and uh you know with that we're kind of you know that that's really the the, the crux of it right now so uh with that we'll close for this week i uh, hope you've enjoyed the broadcast uh, slightly longer this week because there's a little bit more to talk about but uh, i hope you have a wonderful week Uh, Please reach out if you have any questions, happy to answer. Uh, Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.